Well, thanks, Pastor Allen and Steph, for that brief interview. That's so cool to hear that Steph was saved in here in Praxis in the young adult ministry because um, I either didn't know that or forgot it. <laughs> and so um, it's cool because I myself was also saved, um, not here at Praxis, but also in the young adult stage of my own life. And I can also agree with Steph that it's such a blessing to serve here at Praxis with the young adult ministry. You know, the gospel has changed our lives and we know it will change yours and continue to shape your life. And so that's why we're so thankful, so excited to be here uh, serving in Praxis ministry. So I'm also thankful to be back um, from Michigan. I had the blessing of going to visit my old church family um, the last two weeks in Michigan um, for one last time, at least for the next several years, because uh, we are planning to move to Japan early next year for missions. So, yeah, woohoo, thanks. <laughs> so, needless to say, there's some emotional moments as we were over there sifting through, you know, our old belongings and deciding what to bring with us and what to part ways with. And it was really, you know, a glimpse of God's grace in our lives, uh, lives as we looked through you know, old cards, old thank you notes, old pictures from high school uh, when I only weighed 95 pounds, believe it or not, and uh, <laughs> gifts from many friends that we've made over the years. But I'm thankful to be back and honestly, you know, standing out there earlier this evening, seeing your faces and just remembering all the blessing of interactions with all of you and each of you is just such a treasure from my own heart as I Try to enjoy your fellowship and your company over the next few months before heading out to Japan. Um, you know, it is a privilege, of course, to be here with you, but also a privilege to preach the gospel in Japan to the lost. And before we begin, just join me for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just your goodness and your grace and kindness, as we sang earlier tonight about the love of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the lost and for sinners, and that he bled and died on the cross for our sins, that our relationship with you might be restored. And love And Lord, we would be so lost without you. So Father, thank you that you have made a way for us to be reunited with you. Lord, as we look at Paul's life tonight, the life of a missionary, I pray, God, that you work in our hearts, that you help us to learn the lessons that we ha you have in store for us, and that we would be encouraged and motivated to grow our love for you and our love for one another, and to be united in Christ, that we might proclaim your name to the lost, and that the world would look upon us and see what it is that the gospel can do, to see that you are the Savior of the world. So, Father, help us to that end. We ask this humbly in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, Mark Zuckerberg, Harry Potter, Mahatma Gandhi, and Aristotle. These are all significant men of history, especially the second one, Harry Potter. All of them with great achievements under their belt. They've overcome numerous obstacles. They've sealed their names in the annals of history. But they all have one thing in common, and it's not their achievements or the trials that they faced in life. 
But it's the fact that they had mentors to help them to be prepared for overcoming those obstacles in their journey of life. Aristotle had Plato, Gandhi had Gokal, Zuckerberg had Jobs, and yes, Potter had Voldemort. I mean, Dumbledore. I don't read Harry Potter, just, you know, just saying. Now, these mentors helped shape the way these men thought and lived. They, count, they spent countless hours with them, pouring into them, discussing philosophy, societal issues, political history, and strategic decisions for their success in their enterprise. And just like them, it's critical for us to have mentors in our own life to help us to understand and to grow in our living out of the Christian life as we seek to follow Christ together and live for his glory. Now, it's wise to have mentors to speak into our lives because it's better to learn from a mentor than from the school of hard knocks. But truth be told, as I'm sure you've discovered in your life, it's not always easy to find a mentor. Perhaps you're too shy to ask for one, or maybe they're too busy to meet up. But you can and we should always be ready and willing to sit under the tutelage of Scripture. As the Word of God, we should always humbly be ready to listen and to learn from Scripture and submit our lives to it. And with that in mind, we all want mentors and we all need mentors, but sometimes we go through seasons of life where we don't have access to mentors as we would like. And so I want you to remember that you can always look to Scripture and be mentored by the likes of Paul and Peter and, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. So tonight, we'll, we will be mentored by the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Romans and details out his missionary plans as he's getting ready to go and visit the believers in Rome. So we are in Rome, Romans um, chapter 15, verses 22 to 33. And so go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 15, and we're going to learn four lessons from Paul's missionary planning. Now you can see there in your notes, we'll learn about the providence and perseverance, partnership in the gospel, the priority of love and unity, and persistence in prayer. So let's begin with providence and perseverance. Look with me at verses 22 and 23 as we make our way through this portion of Scripture. Romans 15, 22 to 23. I'll actually read the 24. Now, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, as you'll recall from the last message, Paul was busy, he was a busy man traveling from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum in order to preach the gospel where Christ had not been named yet. Now, Paul was rooted and grounded in gospel ministry and even quoted from Isaiah 52 there saying, those who have never been told of him, meaning Christ, will see and those who have never heard will understand. So Paul, as he always was, was on fire for the gospel. He knew that it was God's plan from the foundation of the world to save people from their sin through the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul was doing all that he could to do in, to do his part in fulfilling the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
And then he tells the Romans here in verse 22 that this, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Now, by Paul's choice of words here, he's actually indicating to us that there's something external that has kept him from coming to Rome, something external that's been hindering him. Now, there's no doubt that Paul is alluding to the providence of God in keeping him from going to Rome. Now, you'll recall that in Acts 16, Paul even says that the spirit of Jesus prevented him from going in certain directions for ministry. And thus the Lord God would lead him to other specific areas to go and preach the gospel. Now, Paul longed to go to, to, he longed and he desired to go to Rome and to minister there, but God was leading Paul each step of the way, whether it was in that direction or a different direction. So there's no doubt, as we'll see in the rest of this passage, that Paul had detailed plans to make his way to Rome and eventually to Spain in order to fulfill the Great Commission. So Paul was a man on a mission and with a plan. But you can see here that Paul is not impervious to the will of God. Right? Paul was not so inflexible as to be bent out of shape when things didn't go according to his own plans. Right? Paul was intent on obeying God and fulfilling the Great Commission. He was disciplined. He was diligent. He made plans. And he was pursuing all of those plans to the fullest. But he was always always submissive to the will of God, even when things turned out differently than how he planned. Now, some of you sitting in this room are go-getters. You are disciplined. You are hardworking, right? To some extent, you wouldn't even have reached this place in your life if you were not that way. And those are good qualities to have as showcased in many of passages in scripture, especially in the book of Proverbs. But I want to ask you, right, are your plans your plans for your life made in light of the greater plan of God's will. Right? In other words, as you're thinking through and planning the next few weeks and months and years of your life, are you taking into account what Scripture clearly shows is God's will? Are you taking into consideration a healthy environment where you can grow in your own sanctification? Or are you thinking about putting yourself in a position where you can be salt and light and bring the gospel to unbelievers in the workplace? Are you seeking financial success so that you can live a theoretically unencumbered life or so that you'll have more resources to invest in God's kingdom? Right? These are things that God has revealed to us through his word. And so my question is, are we looking through that lens as we plan and make decisions for our own living? Now, one decision that I was trying to think through during my time at working at General Motors as an engineer was, do I want to go the route of becoming a technical specialist or, and nerding out in all those things about electric vehicles? Or do I want to go the route of becoming a group manager and overseeing a team as part of the business there? Now, one of those positions affords me to dive deeper into a silo that I might enjoy, and the other might give me the more challenging aspect of managing people. However, that one having the spiritual benefit of being able to interact with a lot more people and show them the love of Christ and how I lead them and how I serve them. And that would give me more opportunities to share the gospel with them. I never had to make 
that decision between those two positions because I just quit my job. And then just went to seminary anyway. And so, but I want to encourage you, right? Are you thinking about it like that? Are you taking God's word into account as you're making plans and thinking through your decisions? Are you willing to submit those plans to the providence of God and be flexible, especially when things don't go according to your plans, but they are going according to God's plans? Now, the second half of this lesson is uh, from Paul is perseverance, right? Paul longed for many years to go to Rome and to minister to them. But again, God's providence prevented that from happening up to this point. And yet we can see in Paul's planning that he's continuing to persevere and attempting to visit them on his way to Spain, right? The amazing thing is that Paul wasn't fighting against God's will in all of this. He continued to serve God in preaching the gospel and building up the church, but he was just doing it in different places than he had planned. So he was still fulfilling the will of God by living out the commands that we now have in scripture, but he was doing it under the providential care and the direction of God and not according to his own plans. Now, in a sense, this aspect is more caught than taught And so it's helpful for us to see Paul's perseverance in his effort to visit Rome and to bring the gospel to Spain, even though he'd been hindered for so many years. Now, honestly, reading through this and thinking about this, it reminded me of our beloved sister, Lauren Yen. She is incredibly hardworking to carry out her plans, and she was making such tremendous effort to go to medical school. But all of a sudden, things took a major left turn in her life and things that were outside of her control. All kinds of things started happening and she was presented with some major challengers in pursuing that goal of going to medical school. But through that difficulty, right, she sought to trust in God's providence because as she told me, she knew and she still knows that God is wiser and kinder than we could ever imagine. And so she knew she was entrusting herself into good hands, into God's hands, even if she didn't realize it or couldn't see it in the moment. Now, even though it was hard, she trusted God through that journey, and she is all the more godlier for it and able to be more useful in God's hands as she has grown closer to Christ through this entire journey. So she's learned to make plans and to trust the Lord in leading, even when difficult, and to persevere just like our brother Paul did. So make plans, work hard, be flexible, and trust in the providence of God as he directs your life. But always, always persevere in carrying out the revealed will of God in Scripture. Now let's look at the second lesson that we can glean from Paul's missionary planning, and that's partnership. Partnership in verse 24. Look at verse 24. Paul writes, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, several weeks ago, we talked about partnership in the gospel during the Sunday service, so I won't belabor this point, but it's clear here that Paul is specially requesting the Romans' help as he seeks to bring the gospel to Spain, 
Right? He wants their help and he wants to be refreshed in their company once he reaches them. Now, Spain was uh, the westernmost territory occupied by Rome at the time, but it's not like Paul had much experience with Spain. Right? Spain was over 2,500 miles away from Jerusalem. So clearly there is going to be a language barrier, differences in culture. Now, Paul knows he's going to need help once he gets to Rome in order to go to Spain. He'll probably need help with translation. He'll need help with some of the cultural cues and just navigating life and society once he gets there. And it's not like they had banks and ATMs back in those days. So Paul was going to need some material assistance, whether it would be food or money or transportation. So again, if you missed the sermon on partnership in the gospel a few weeks ago, you can look on the website, go back and listen to it for a fuller treatment of partnership with missionaries. But let me take courage, as Paul does here, and point out this providential occurrence. Right as I mentioned, my family and I are, are intending to go to Japan as missionaries in February, so in just under four months. And as Paul says here, he wants help from the Romans on his way to Spain. And so honestly, I want your help on my way to Japan. Of course, we need your prayers. We need your encouragement, which I hope to have over these next few months and years with you. But we also need the practical help, right? Just like our brother Paul, right? We need partnership through financial giving to support the ministry in Japan and to be sent out in February. And to be honest, when I think about potential partners in the gospel, I get really excited when I think about all of you here in Praxis. And the reason is because I really believe this is a great opportunity for each and every one of you to be involved in gospel ministry, to be involved in missions in Japan, right? Even if you're not able to go and to go and serve over there yourself, you can support the gospel ministry through your financial support. Right? There's a lot of work to be done in Japan. Right? There is a tremendous spiritual need because there's over 123 million people there with less than 2% of them actually being Christians. Like you've, I'm sure you've heard in the news. Right? You hear of people that are disillusioned with life. They succumb to the societal pressures that are placed on them. And a lot of that can be avoided. A lot of that can be addressed if they knew the gospel, if they trusted in Christ, if they would believe in the gospel, they would know that there is a God who loves them and who cares for them. And there is a church on the other side of the ocean that genuinely loves them and is willing to invest and pour out their lives for them. Because if they knew Christ, if they knew the gospel and believed, they wouldn't succumb to shutting themselves into their apartment for years on end. Right? They wouldn't reach those points of desperation and committing suicide. Because again, they would know that people love them, that the God of this world who created them loves them. And he demonstrates it on the cross through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want all of you to consider 
partnering with us in this gospel ministry because it's for Christ's sake, it's for the lost in Japan, and it's an amazing way for you and I to partner together. And again, I love this ministry because you are young adults. You have a long life ahead of you still. And what a great thing to be invested, to be partnered in the gospel with missionaries, one that you know, one that I hope you trust, and one that, Lord willing, will use to preach the gospel and bring the lost in Japan to himself. What a great opportunity. And again, yes, I need your help, but honestly, I want it for you too. Because you'll see the, the work of God that he does on the front lines as we talk with one another, as we encourage one another, as we share prayer requests with each other. I invite you to partner with us in this, again, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his church, his name, and for all of you and for all of us. I ask you, just like our brother Paul asked the Romans, We need your help for the gospel in Spain, and we need your help for the gospel in Japan. Now, there's a lot more that can be said here, and perhaps we'll have another opportunity to talk more in the future about this. But again, consider how you can partner with missionaries, whether myself or others, for the gospel around the world. Now, if that's something you want to learn more about, you can feel free to ask me anytime. There's also the prayer cards outside where you can see how you can get in touch with us and how to support us. But let's move on to the next lesson that we can learn from the Apostle Paul's planning, and that's the priority of love and unity. The priority of love and unity. And look with me carefully at verses 25 to 28. Now, Paul writes there, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Now, honestly, these few verses really caught me by surprise, right? Because if you look back in verse 20, Paul was waxing eloquent saying, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But then all of a sudden we get here to verse 25 and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to help the poor saints over there. Now, that's 700 miles in the wrong direction, in the opposite direction of going to Rome and Spain. So what gives? Why is it that Paul is suddenly turning around to deliver this financial gift to the church in Jerusalem? Right? Is he distracted from preaching the gospel in Rome and in Spain? And clearly, if he's willing to put his travels to Rome on hold, this must be important. This must play a vital aspect in furthering the gospel. So what is it? What is it that makes this so important? 
So Paul mentions that the churches in Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make this contribution for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. Now it's clear from the context that this is a financial gift that he's bringing on behalf of the Gentile church to the church in Jerusalem. Now the gift is mentioned in various places in scripture, including 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And Paul describes it in 2nd Corinthians 8, He says there to the Corinthians about this gift, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, even though the Macedonians were not well off, they were in extreme poverty, but it was their joy by the saving grace of God for them to participate and give generously to the needy believers in Jerusalem. They didn't have much to give, but what they did have, they cheerfully gave from a sacrificial heart of love for their brothers and sisters in Christ, right? They knew that their hearts were knitted together because of what Christ had done for them on the cross and because of the sacrifice that Christ had made for them. So Paul says it again in our passage in Romans that they were pleased to contribute to this financial gift to Jerusalem. So this highlights that the believers in Macedonia knew and they understood the priority of love in helping other believers in need. Right? They weren't wedded to their financial prospects or challenges. Right? They wanted to demonstrate their love towards other believers, and this gift to the church in Jerusalem was the perfect way for them to live out that love towards those in Jerusalem. So that would be part of the reason why Paul would postpone his trip to Rome, right? the priority of love. But that's only part of it. The other part is the priority of unity. Unity? Really? Right? Paul would stop his efforts on preaching the gospel to those who haven't yet heard of Christ for the sake of unity? Right? This might sound a bit shocking at first, but I think unity is perhaps undervalued in our modern era. Right? As you read through the New Testament, you'll notice there seems to be this rift that exists between the Gentiles and the Jews. Or you see it in Acts 15, in the book of Galatians, and even here in the book of Romans. If you recall back in Romans 9 through 11, there is a large chunk of this letter that is dedicated to God's plan for the Israelites now that the gospel has been fully revealed. Now, most of the Jews rejected the gospel, but there were some who believed. And then there were many Gentiles or non-Jewish people who came to believe in the gospel. But because they have this completely different cultural and religious background, right, there's this temptation for Jewish believers to be suspicious of the Gentile believers. And there's also this temptation for Gentile believers to look down upon the Jewish believers. Now, Paul tells them point blank in Romans eleven eighteen 18, not to be arrogant towards their fellow Jewish believers. 
So Paul knew that there was hostility between Jews and Gentiles in the past, but that Christ was bringing the Jew and Gentile together in the gospel. If you remember in Ephesians 2.14, he says, For he, meaning Christ himself, is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So in the gospel, this dividing wall between Jew and Greek is now broken. And instead, we are to be united in Christ. But there was this very real threat of division in the church between the Gentile and Jewish believers. So Paul, again, he's putting his evangelism effort to Spain on hold so that he can deliver this gift from the Gentile church to the Jewish believers in order to demonstrate their love and to foster their unity in Christ. But again, I wonder, I ask myself, it, Paul, really, is it really that important? Is it really worth it to put your trip to Spain on hold? Well, Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So there is this direct connection between our love for one another and the gospel ministry and reaching out to the lost. Right? How many times have you heard someone say, oh, I don't want to go to church? Because they're always fighting with each other because they themselves are unloving and they've done so many hurtful things to me or my family or whatever. You fill in the blank. I'm sure we've all heard that. So at the end of the day, it's because they didn't see their love for one another, the love that Christ commanded, and they were pushed away instead of being drawn in. And so love is a vital component to our evangelism. But Jesus also prayed in John 17, and 23, when he was praying to his father, he said, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. There is this direct connection between the world knowing that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the savior of the world and our unity in him. It's how the world will recognize that we belong to him and how the world will know that Jesus was sent to save sinners through our love for one another and through our unity in Christ. And so this is what compelled Paul to pause his missionary journey and to continue to sow love and unity between the Gentile and Jewish believers, right? This is a priority for Paul and his evangelistic enterprise, and it has to be for us. And so the natural question is, are we demonstrating that love towards one another, right? Are we fostering that love for the world to see? Does your relationship with others in praxis and within the church demonstrate a willingness to give of your time and energy and resources for their benefit? Or are you self-seeking and self-serving in your relationships? Are you willing to ask the hard questions to one another about their love for God? 
My brother, is your heart warm towards Christ? Because you seem overburdened by the cares of this world. All right, are you willing to answer those hard questions and to be vulnerable about your life? Brother, I felt a temptation again, and I'm spiraling into pornography once again. Help me. I'm so stressed about my next job interview that I can't sleep and it's hard to function. Remind me of God's promises so that I can find peace in him again. Right? If people can see your genuine love for one another, they will be drawn to that and ultimately drawn to Christ. Now regarding their unity, there is one important this is one important dimension that I want to highlight, and that's in what we believe. Right? What is our doctrine? Right? There has to be unity in Christ, which means there has to be unity in what we believe about him. Right? As, you, as you saw in our newsletter, there is a theology class that's been put together specifically for you by Seichi and Christian. Right? This is a great way for you to be reminded of the doctrines, or to learn them for the first time so that you can have unity in Christ with fellow brothers and sisters, and that our unity will be stronger, and our outreach to the lost can also be stronger. I encourage you to take advantage of that class so that you'll be better positioned for the rest of your life to be a better servant of Christ. So yes, love and unity are priorities for the church, and it's worth it in Paul's eyes to put his travel to Spain on hold for the sake of the church and ultimately for the sake of the gospel. So let's look at our final point, the lesson of being persistent in prayer. Persistent in prayer, verses 30 to 33. And Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, as Paul is about to deliver this gift to Jerusalem, he has two concerns on his mind, right? The first one being that the unbelievers in Judea will collide with him There's going to be a head-on collision between him and the unbelieving Jews. And certainly, there'll be a threat to him and to the ministry. He knows that they're zealous. He knows that they're willing to kill him because Paul was just like them. He was zealous. He was willing to persecute and to kill Christians before he came to Christ. He's also concerned, though, that these Jewish believers, the Jewish church there, may not accept the gift from the Gentile churches, which, again, would be disastrous for church unity. So Paul was not naive with these challenges that faced him in Jerusalem. So he pleads with the Romans to be persistent in prayer for him and for the success of this ministry. Now, by God's grace, it appears that in the book of Acts, the gift was actually accepted and that part worked out well for them. But as for the first request, well, Paul was actually threatened by unbelieving Jews and then he was falsely accused by them. And because of that, he was thrown in prison and eventually he did make his way to Rome several years later. But 
It was as a prisoner, and he was facing trial in Rome. So it was not without warrant that Paul was requesting prayer from the Romans for this specific concern. And in a sense, this is part of that trusting in God's providence, right? In persevering to carry out God's will, right? Even when things don't go according to plan. Paul planned to deliver that gift to Jerusalem and be on his merry way to Rome. But it didn't play out that way. Uh, Through his prayers and through the prayers of the Romans, they were able to partner in the gospel through prayer. They were able to demonstrate that priority of love and unity by delivering the gift. And they were able to persevere through God's providence in continuing this gospel ministry. And so as we close tonight, and in your small groups, let's strive alongside Paul in prayer. Prayer for love for one another. Prayer for unity in Christ. And prayer for persevering as we trust in God's providence. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the life of Paul and the amazing work that you did in him and through him. Lord, we pray that you continue to raise up more missionaries like Paul to bring the gospel around the world. Father, we pray that you give us great mentors to help us to grow in Christ-likeness, to help us to learn those lessons that are more caught than taught. Father, I pray for everyone here tonight that you Put those mentors, whether in scripture or from history or from people here in Lighthouse, put the mentors that they need in their life to help them to persevere, to help them to trust in your providence. Lord, most of all, I pray you help us to grow our love for you, that we might be useful in your hands for your glory. We ask this humbly in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.